This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelor. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks. Jill is back again today. In case you missed last week's episode, she's one of my very best friends. We met 15 years ago working at a restaurant in Vancouver, and we've been friends ever since. We've been married. Our husbands are best friends too. We both have two kids. She has a dog. You know, collectively, we've been through many, many highs and lows over the years together. So I'm so excited to have her back. Well, we actually just recorded one super long conversation. She had a bunch of questions to ask me. It was going to be one episode and it turned into this three hour conversation as it always does with us. Anyways, in this specific episode, we're going to talk about the pressure to do it all, especially as moms. But really, I think this conversation is something that is affecting everyone. The pressure to have the perfect body, the pressure to have the perfect home, the pressure to you know, be at the stage of life that society set out for you. So whatever it is, I hope that portion of the conversation resonates with you. Talk a little bit about my girl crush, conscious parenting. <laughs> Jill <laughs> freaking loved her. You know, she was curious, like, do I always have to just be this calm Zen mama with my kids? Like what happens on the days when I'm feeling like I want to rage? Probably the part of the conversation that was the most meaningful to me is when she opens up about her experience losing her dad. And she talks about what she learned in the process and the continual process, really, of grieving his loss. I will give a trigger warning here that we do talk about suicide. So if that's something that is not going to land well with you, then you may want to skip this episode and head on over to the next one. With that being said, let's dive in. All right, Jilly is back in the house. Actually, she hasn't left, if we're being completely honest here. We just had a little snack break, and we had a feeling that this conversation could go a little over one episode. So what are we diving into today? I mean, a few things. <laughs> Talk about a few things. <laughs> but I think we should start with kids. Let's do it. What do you want to know about Buck- my kids? Buckle up. <laughs> so as we were just having a snack, I said, I'm like, wow, it's so clean in here. It's so zen my God, there's no shoes at the door. There's no random toys lying on the floor. And you were like, yeah, it's because we have a nanny. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, those blessed angels. <laughs> Seriously. I didn't actually respond with that, Seriously. but I, I thought in my mind. Yeah. So I think my first question to you is like, let's pull the curtain back on how moms, sometimes, not in all cases, I have a sister with four kids and this is not her case. She is actually a superhero. Mm-hmm. She is one in a million. Yeah. But a lot of times... We see these moms, especially on social media, and you're like, how are you doing it all? Mm -hmm. It's making me feel less. Mm. You're working out, you're meditating, you're working full time, you've got multiple businesses, your kids are all in white and nude, (laughs) you have fresh flowers from your garden on the table, you are cooking, 
you are doing your own fitness videos, yeah. you are a vegan, you are working at charities. What else? <laughs> I mean, the list goes on. They're doing makeup tutorials. And on and on. They're in California every month. <laughs> Why are you following this? They're wearing linen 247, <laughs> even when it's raining. Oh, this isn't on my Instagram feed, interestingly oh my enough. God, Instagram is blowing up my life with this. <laughs> this is not, I think, because you probably are interested in some of that stuff. So then you follow and then, you know, then the algorithm knows she's more inclined to like this kind of stuff or based on the products that she follows. It's so interesting how we all have different feeds, right? Yeah, and I try not to click on it now because I'm like, don't show me this. <laughs> I don't want to see it anymore. But they know that the tendency is to click on it because all of this stuff is so addictive. So we can't help ourselves. Yeah. Mine's all Hailey Bieber. And I I'm do, like, I, I got to stop. some Hailey Bieber. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, girl, I love that pink turtleneck. I need it. Your dewy skin. How is this dewy skin? Are oh those God. lips real right now? No what is knows. this outfit that you're wearing? I know. How are you all of these places right She's now? She's so cool. Yeah. Love her. So let's pull it back. The behind the scenes on the women, sometimes men. One of our good girlfriends, she's their nanny is a manny and yeah. he's incredible. And talk about sometimes the people who are really holding the house together and that's nannies. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to speak for... Every mom out there, I know everybody has a different situation, but one thing I've really had to come to peace with is the fact that I cannot do it all. And in trying to do it all, I've had several nervous breakdowns, like literally not able to get out of bed in the hospital, having to be medicated breakdowns, not just like a little cry fest in the bathroom. Um, and so I have felt guilt about having a nanny. I've watched people who are coaches talk about their nanny be torn down for, you know, not being relatable. The whole Rachel Hollis scenario around some discussion she had about having a house cleaner, which wasn't about her having the house cleaner really at all. I mean, there was just so much there, but I felt... Wait, and people are judging? Oh, they completely canceled her. It was tied to a number of things, including race. There was a lot there. There was a lot there to unpack. A lot there. But the reality is there are a lot of women who work just as hard or harder than I do, who don't have the ability to then have a nanny or any form of help. And I've also felt guilty about having help because my business is still in startup mode. Even though I've been running raw for 10 years, I've been coaching for about three years now. So the amount that I make is barely enough to even cover our nanny. So then that puts more stress on Scott. So there are a lot of layers here. But what I can say is that there's just no way that I could be working the way that I'm working, showing up as a parent the way that I want to parent and putting, you know, food on the table and all of these things. Like literally, I'm not talking about putting food on the table by making money. I'm talking about li- literally feeding my children. Yeah, We have to have help. We've made that, I don't want to say a priority. We've had the privilege of being able to make that a reality for us. And we have not had the same nanny the whole time. We've had many different nannies and anybody who's living in Vancouver knows that there's a shortage of great people. And we've moved, I think we moved like six times since getting married. And so you're in different neighborhoods, which means people can't come with you. So there have been a lot of highs and lows. And in any chapter where we didn't have consistent childcare, things start to fall apart and crumble. They really do. So Michelle who's with us now, looked after my grandma for five years. And 
lived with my grandma. And when Gigi passed in the spring, she came to live with us. And that was sort of when I was going through my major bout of anxiety and we were trying to get me stabilized. And so she was such a godsend. The kids absolutely love her. She lives with us right now. Her fa- She just got her PR actually. So her family's coming over. So she's moving out in a couple of weeks and just so excited for her to have her son here. I mean, she left her son five years ago, but these individuals really become part of your family and they see parts of your life that no one else sees, right? They're there in the morning first thing. They're there hearing conversations that you're having with your significant other. They see the way that you parent. They know everything about you. And so it's a really intimate, beautiful relationship that you can have with them. And I just feel so grateful for Michelle and so lucky to be able to have somebody Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, and I feel like my wish on social was that more women, like we're talking about right now, actually talked about it. It's such a good point. Yeah, and I'm like, if you're the personality on Instagram who is the do-it-all mom. Yes. And you have a behind-the-scenes nanny who are like angels in your home and your life. Yes. Tell us. The nanny, the assistant, the house cleaner, the yard person, like whatever it is, right? I think it's so important. And... I would say that like knowing Michelle, she would not want to be on my Instagram. (laughs) That would be highly uncomfortable for her, but it's just, it's maybe just about opening up about the realities of how all of these things work. It's just even saying like, Hey, I worked on my two businesses or my three businesses or my one business today. I meditated. I worked out. I went shopping and took photos. Mm -hmm. I did my makeup. I cooked a gourmet meal and I have a nanny to yes. help me with school drop off and pick up. Yes. And I just want you to know as a mom that like I have help and I am appearing to do it all, but I have a lot of help in my life yeah. to live this life and do it. Yeah. I think it would be really refreshing. I think it would be really refreshing too. And or I have a mother-in-law or a mom who helps out or this is yeah. how I do it. Yeah. This is how I do everything. I'm just thinking about the influencer's perspective who has that help and why do we not talk about it more? My guess is, and something that I hear all the time in coaching, is there's an incredible amount of pressure for us as women to do it all and to look like we're doing it all. And so I can only imagine that those individuals who livelihood depends on them looking like they're doing it all and teaching it all, that there's just that much more pressure to appear that everything's perfect and they've got it all together. But we all know that that's, I mean, when we stop and think about it, we know, I guess in the moment when you're scrolling through Instagram, the subconscious and the ego can start to go like, oh shit, everything's together over there. And my life doesn't look like that. So I'm not doing something right. Yeah. And you're like, why is my life such a mess? Why is there toys everywhere? I've talked to enough women at this point to know that everybody is doing their own work around something. Nobody's life is perfect. And while some people have happy moments and times of ease and things are going really well, that they've also had hardships and there will be hard chapters to come. And so, yeah, I would just be really mindful as you're scrolling and comparing and doing all of that to understand that what you're seeing, as we've heard a million times before, it's not the whole picture. A thousand percent. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so the other thing that I wanted to talk about was another kind of like social pressure that I feel like is more prevalent than it's ever been. And again, maybe it's just what's showing up for me on my feed, but it's this like idealism of parenting being Zen all the time. Mm. This kind of like perfect parenting where you're like, you're never yelling, you're never raising your voice, (laughs) you're just talking calmly all the time, and there's no plastic toys, only wooden ones, if any, (laughs) maybe no toys at all. (laughs) You know, the kids are drawing their feelings instead of screaming, Mm -hmm. you know, all these things that come up. And I kind of said this, even in, we've got this mom's chat one day, I read all of these responses to something, all of our girlfriends responded with these like super zen responses, which... I absolutely appreciate that we don't have a bunch of, you know, crazy people, but I was kind of like, you guys, I can't, this is way too Zen and feels unrealistic. Right. And like, I love the advice from Dr. Becky. I love the advice on your recent podcast Mm -hmm. from Dr. Shafali. You know, these are incredible women and I always gain a lot from listening to them. Yeah. But I just wanted to, I think, go over like, do you have any thoughts around like parenting realisms and realities? And like, can we talk about the truth of like, parents are losing their minds. Parents are losing their shit. Moms are crying. I cried yesterday. My kids weren't allowed to come out into the park and they had to stay in the vehicle because I needed a minute. I was crying because I was like, I'm in a mentally abusive relationship with these kids. They are literally tearing me apart. They would eat me with a knife and fork if I gave them set a cutlery right now you know and I'm like do I feel calm and like I can take a second to be like hey guys here's a pen and paper and I want you to just draw your feelings and let's talk about it I'm like you guys are locked in the vehicle and I'm going to the park <laughs> and now I could see them let's be clear I, I could love see you. them I was right by the I vehicle love you. so many people are nodding their heads right now and are like thank you thank you thank you I wish you had come to see Dr. Shafali live because her whole first 15 minutes of her talk was all about how our kids are so challenging how we've been led to believe that parenthood is going to be this magical, mystical time where we're going to have these little mini-me's running around in perfect outfits doing exactly what we have asked of them. And then we get there and we're like, what the fuck is this? Like, I'm cleaning up shit. This little being is listening to nothing that I'm saying right now. And the image of what parenting was supposed to be is burst right before our eyes. And now we're just walking around like, wait, are we actually enjoying this? Is this fun? What's going on right now? This is hard. And every parent feels that. I've got little sugar mongrels running around (laughs) screaming at me for iPads and sugar. And like, we are not a high sugar, high iPad home. Okay. (laughs) Oh my God. I think, oh, we're still having that conversation constantly about the Halloween candy and they're addicts. They're fully addicts, right? So... I think this is layered. A lot of the conscious parenting conversation that's coming out is because young adults and adults now are realizing that some of the ways that they were parented was really unconscious and resulted in pain, trauma, and discomfort, a lot of healing being required as parenting. So those individuals, especially the ones that are working in mental health and psychology and all of this space, are questioning, wait, is this whole paradigm of parenting 
that was passed down from our parents who also knew nothing about what they were doing, is this the best way of doing it? And that's where a lot of this conversation is being born from. I mean, one of the things that I loved about what Dr. Shafali was saying is that we have these expectations for our kids and these ideas of who they will be and what they will be. And if they're able to match that, then we feel better and like we're doing a better job of parenting. Life feels easier. But these are their own unique individuals. And our job as parents isn't so much to shape them into our fantasy, but rather to hold space for them to grow safely into the human that they are meant to be, whatever that looks like. Now, that is really hard. That causes us to have to look inward a lot at, you know, where we're getting triggered and where we're getting activated and why our emotions are so unregulated in moments, which they are for all of us. You get angry and fiery, which you always have. Mm-hmm. I get anxious and overwhelmed, I would say. Like when I have had the kids for a weekend and Scott comes home, I'm so overstimulated. I'm so desperate to just go into my room and have nobody touching me, to have silence, to reduce the stimulation and to just be able to like have a moment to myself. I was given James who has not stopped talking or moving (laughs) since he was born. And he is my greatest little teacher. And he triggers me all the time. Like he activates me all the time. He fucking comes into my room. He rips off the covers and he's like, let's go mom. And I need to talk about this. And the snail's coming over here and my pants are over here and I can't stop moving my hands. And now I'm like rubbing against all the walls. And he is everything that I need to figure out how to regulate my own shit and my own emotions and how to set boundaries as well. Like how to set boundaries with him in moments so that I'm able to parent. And Brooklyn has arrived and I said, like, I really hope that I get this child that's not going to have any body image issues. And, you know, like I do this for a job so she can't have an eating disorder. Like we can't go down that road. And the more I explore conscious parenting and come to understand it, I realize that my job as a parent isn't to make her life perfect or to have her always be happy or to never face any struggle. She's going to, Mm -hmm. and those things will help her grow and it will be uncomfortable when we go through it. But that those are all parts of life. Like our job as parents isn't to have happy kids all the time. Absolutely. Sometimes I feel like Craig and I, we're hard on our kids. We for sure are. Like Craig and I, I think, have a bit of a different style of parenting than the norm where I feel like we're a little more old school. Like if you don't eat your dinner, you're not going to eat. Like, you know, but that also works for our kids and our kids eat their dinner. Right. They, you know, Gigi, she loves food. It's not a problem. We're not forcing them to finish their plates or anything. I'm like, eat when your tummy feels full, you're done. If that you're halfway done, that's all good. Mm-hmm. You know, now we're going through that with Parker. And now, you know, he screams and loses his mind. And last night yelled at me that he wanted mac and cheese. And then he sat down to eat his pass and he was a happy little cat. Totally. You know, but we also love hard. We love our kids, you know, so much. We're, you know, we do a lot. You guys, you know this, mm-hmm. but you're incredible parents. I mean, we try our best. Yeah. We try our best, but sometimes it feels a little exhausting to me with this Zen parenting when, you know, I'm like, you know what? The reality is our kids are growing up in a tough world. Yeah. And what I wish my parents had given me sooner was a thicker skin. Mm. Like I wish that they kind of prepared me that like the world is a tough place. Right. And you cannot go into it as a marshmallow or you will get eaten. Right. You know, like... 
So your experience being parented and the areas where you feel like, I wish my parents could have done more here or there, is how you will then show up for your own kids. And you'll then take that and use that. Yeah. And I've never even really said this out loud and it's all like making sense talking about it. (laughs) It always comes back to our own experiences, right? And so I think that we're all doing the best that we can do with the tools and insight that we have. And we have to keep coming back to, okay, so a lot of people are talking about conscious parenting. What's cool about this? What do I take from it? What sits right with me? And then what am I going to leave behind? Mm -hmm. You don't have to follow anything right to the core. But what's also interesting is like, what is activating about it? Like why does it bother you? And part of that is because it's pushing back against some of your beliefs as to how you want to parent your kids and what you feel is important for your kids. Yeah. And so that's like poking a little bit. And so there's resistance there and that's, that's okay. Yeah. And we all have to do it the same. One thing that I was thinking about this week actually was Gigi came home and they had learned all about Hanukkah. Yes. And I was so happy. We're not Jewish, Yeah. but I wish that I was taught about Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going to send the teacher an email and say, thank you. Like I grew up in a Christian home. Craig and I are, you know, not practicing Christians. I feel like I'm more of a spiritual person. I don't know if I've found my religion yet in life. Yeah. Maybe I will. I don't know. But something that I've been thinking about that I read, and maybe it was Dr. Shafali, but something about how society tells your kids and you who you are. Mm-hmm. And your kids adopt all of these kind of views of the world and beliefs because of who you are. And for our kids, what Craig and I have talked about is I'm like, when it comes to religion or spirituality, I don't want our kids to adopt our beliefs. I want them to find out on their own. I want them to learn about Hanukkah. I want them to learn about Christianity, Buddhism, mm-hmm. you know, all of these different things in the world or just what it means to be spiritual and being connected with the world. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, how can we take, I guess, things around eating or discipline and really like apply that to all different areas for our kids? Like we want you to choose who you are and what feels right and what feels good for you. I don't want you to feel like you've got to go to church on Sundays because your parents told you to. Yeah. And that's a, that's a personal choice. Yeah. Right. And that can look different for so many people. Yeah. But I guess like, how do we take those values and think about that in other aspects? You mean like, how do we take the values of parenting consciously? Yeah. I mean, I think in exactly the way that you just said, a lot of it really comes down to asking questions and getting curious. There's no right answer here. That's one of the most important things is there's no right way to parent. There's no exact right way to feed your kids or to raise them spiritually or in a specific religion. There's just not, everybody's going to do it differently, but questioning, okay, why do I do the things that I do? And asking yourself, like, why am I? So we've all been there in a moment where you lose it with your kids, where either you get really angry or you go internal like I do and start feeling really anxious and like you're shutting down. We've all been there where you're triggered or activated with the kids. And the tendency is to point the finger at the kids like, James, sit down. You have to like stop moving and no talking right now, which of course there's moments when we do say that and where it's literally like, okay, we're having 10 minutes, 15 minutes of silence and everyone's just going to do their thing. And I'll say like, mom's feeling like I just need a moment. 
But then I also have to look inward and say, what is this triggering in me? What's going on right now? Like, why are you getting so mad to the point where you're yelling or screaming at your kids? Why am I so bothered by this? And then when we back up, we're like, okay, I haven't had any time for self-care. I haven't fed myself properly. And now I'm just doing hypotheticals. I'm in a job that I fucking hate. I have no time for creativity. I haven't been out in nature in forever. I don't feel connected to my partner. The list goes on and on and on. Rather than putting the blame on our child, you're doing this wrong or you should do that wrong and we look inward, well then we realize that there's actually a lot of things that we could be doing to support ourselves that would allow us to regulate better so that you know, when your kid's not finishing their meal or they're taking time to put their shoes on, we don't get so lit up. Mm-hmm. A thousand percent. So I guess it's using those opportunities when the emotions are high and there's intensity to be like, okay, what's going on in this moment? And that doesn't mean that we are always zen, that we don't have any boundaries, that we're not like, okay, pick up the pace, guys. We're going to be late for school. Yeah. Just like how we talked about eating with being aware of how your body feels with hunger. It's probably just a good reminder of how your body feels in those moments of like, I'm going to lose my shit here. I'm going to lose it. These kids are driving me insane. Yeah. Maybe it's really just a reminder of like understanding that and really being aware of like what level you're at. Being conscious. (laughs) And being conscious of why you are where you are on that scale. Right. And you start to... You don't want to get a 10 out of 10. (laughs) You you don't want to get a 10 out of 10. And our kids feel. They feel when we're vibrating. They feel our energy. They know when we're ticked. They might not acknowledge it or act any differently, but they're picking up on all of that. And being a highly sensitive kid myself, I had wonderful parents, but there was was stress at home. There was conversations about finances, and I was just picking up all of it up with zero tools as to what to do with those feelings that I had. Now, when I talk to therapists, I'm talking to somebody new recently and she's like, I actually don't remember what it's called, but there's a lot more information coming out now where it's like, maybe it wasn't even from my childhood, some of the stuff that goes on with my nervous system and how unregulated it is, but that my nervous system developed in the womb and developed based on my mom's experiences, which developed based on her parents' experiences and what was going on in their DNA and their bodily systems. And so it can get passed on generationally. Wow. So while we've done so much work in my own therapy sessions on my childhood, the therapist that I'm going to see now, because I'm going to actually do one of those like medicine healing journeys, really when she talked to me, had a strong sense that this was something from before I was even born that I'm now wow. carrying in this lifetime. And so, well, yeah. and we're learning a lot about that too, with that generational pain. We see it with our indigenous community yeah. and, you know, that's really powerful, really terrible, you know, stuff to work through. Obviously it's so incredibly different with, you know, the indigenous community, but it's really made me think a lot about this generational pain or trauma that can be passed through. Yes. And so then when we carry that trauma and pain through, it shows up, especially when we're in more vulnerable times, like right before our period, in a moment of grief, when we have no time for self-care and we're stretched so thin and running around like chickens with our heads cut up, like all of that bubbles up and it spews out. And it's normal as humans to feel all different kinds of emotions, to get angry, to express that, to feel sadness, to feel anxiety, to feel happy. And when we suppress those things, we actually suppress 
all of our emotions. So if you're like, I'm just going to suppress my anger and push it all down, then you're actually suppressing your ability to tap fully into joy, excitement, creativity, all of these other things. So we want to express them, but there are so many different ways to express that anger. You can do it in a therapy session. You can do it moving your body. You can scream into a pillow. There are a lot of different ways of getting it out without necessarily having our kids be at the brunt of it. Yeah. I had a Chinese medicine doctor tell me that I have a lot of hot energy in my body. Yeah, which makes sense. <laughs> does that make sense to you? Totally. No, I no, only it does. I, I only say that because no, I feel I like you you do. You always have, and it's one of the things that we all love about you. You're like piss and vinegar, and <laughs> and you are the most fun, but you can get riled. It totally resonated. I'm just bugging you. It totally resonated. But she was like, if you're a person that you have hot energy, she was like, you need to slam a door every once in a while. Yeah. Like if you're getting out of your truck and you're feeling like you have some hot energy that needs to come out, slam your door. Yeah. Like scream when you get in your truck. Yeah. Go on a 10 minute intensive run. She's like, you actually Sprint. don't need long, you know, kind of like nice workouts. You need quick, intense to get the hot energy out. Right. Oh my God. I'm obsessed with this kind of stuff. Yeah. Whereas I need the more gentle, long, calming, soothing for the anxiety and nervous system. So every body is different. Yeah. You need like a sprint. You need to do shaking, yeah. like really shaking your whole body and screaming and getting some of this out. But let's like also look back. Have you always being quick to heat up? No, I, I don't think I have. I actually think that I became quicker to heat up or maybe snap back or more hot energy actually when I moved to Vancouver. Interesting. Because I feel like I was thrown into life. I grew up in a small town. I was kind of thrown in. And while my parents were incredible and a huge support system, I don't think I was necessarily prepared for how like mean life can be. Mm. Do you know what I, I grew up in a bubble mm -hmm. and I remember very specifically, I was 18. I had just moved here. I was walking across the street. There was a walk symbol and this bus driver was obviously in a panic or a rush and he yelled out. He was like, hurry up, bitch. <laughs> And you're like, Wait. and I started crying because I was so shocked. Right. And that was like, it just sticks out. And my dad's response was eat or be eaten, Jill. Mm. And I'm like, why didn't you raise me with this quote? <laughs> so the advice there was like, put on a hard shell, honey. Toughen up. Toughen up. You're in the real world. You're in the city now. You're not a little kid. Mm -hmm. Why on earth would you let that bus driver make you cry? And you can use that bus driver across the board. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like for me, that was like a turning point where I was like, I'm an adult. Mm -hmm. I will not be eaten alive. Mm -hmm. I will not allow someone to make me cry because they yelled at me when I'm in the right and I'm walking across the crosswalk. Mm. F you. Right. <laughs> but then you put up this shell and armor and yeah. what happens is like a little volcano, all those emotions and tears <laughs> and, you know, everything that is so natural to feel gets a little bit buried and yeah. it explodes when it comes out. It explodes. And through life, you find that 
you go through situations in life where the reality is you have people that, you know, take advantage of you in work or in life, or they, you know, gaslight you, or they yell at you in their crosswalk, or they yell at you in Zara, or there's these people that are, you know, like trying to infiltrate your energy. Mm -hmm. They're trying to burst your bubble every day. Maybe not every day. Let's hope not every day. But so I feel like I've definitely built up this wall where I'm like, I am really protective of my energy. And you girls know this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm protective of who is in my bubble. I'm protective of my energy. Mm-hmm. And anything that's coming in there and affecting that, I can't have it. Mm-hmm. So I'm probably a little hot around the collar. I mean, <laughs> when there is something that is trying to infiltrate the good energy, I'm like, yeah, 100% no. Immediately no. It, it makes so much sense. <laughs> and you're like, also, I won't allow you to let me feel any of no. those things. And so, but it does ultimately come out. Those are all examples of like little moments in life where people are poking, 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 trying to infiltrate that type of thing. But you've also had some big moments in life as well that have been really hard where I wonder as well, like if you've had to put up a bit of a shell sometimes to just survive. Broke my neck. Gigi was three years old. Mm-hmm. It was fucking terrible. Yeah. You had a business that was, you business. just opened your second location, right? Of yeah. Eastwood. Yeah. Gigi was three months old. Three months old. So I almost died. Neurosurgeon was like, you should fully be a paraplegic. Like this is a miracle. That's the only way to explain it. You were on a rope swing and fell off the rope swing. Yeah. It was just a fluke accident. I was with my whole family you know, my brother-in-law, thank God, had the foresight to pick me up in a certain way to hold my neck together, or I could have died immediately from asphyxiation. Asphyxiation. Not I even going to try and help you with that one. No idea. So it was a really terrible moment in life, and it took me probably about a year to feel back to my normal self, and that can be really hard as a new mom. There was for sure some postpartum there. I couldn't pick up Gigi for you know almost two months. Craig is just you know a godsend angel, but it was all also hard on our marriage, you know, kind of six months in when your wife is just still not herself and you're dealing with short-term memory loss, all the things just about at like a year of recovery. And then my dad uh, takes his life and he was uh, my best friend and it was, you know, a lot leading up to it. You still can just never be prepared for that. And it really sent our whole family into like, you know, just downward spiral. It was the worst Worst possible situation. It was so hard to watch you go through all of that. And I just remember thinking, this can't be happening. Like, there just can't be another thing. How could this possibly all be lining up in this way? And every single thing was so incredibly hard. It was so hard. And it was almost a year to the date of breaking my neck and then losing my dad. And it was just, I mean... It's like the most terrible thing you could imagine. Yeah. Just how it happened and the trauma with all my family and then going through the grieving process of my dad and still owning a business and having team members throughout both of these traumatic events that, you know, in hindsight, like I understand it more when you can look back, but team members don't understand necessarily even people around you. And Cheryl Sandberg like really nailed this is she's like, when you are grieving, it's like an elephant in the room and people don't say anything because they feel uncomfortable. They're scared to make you feel uncomfortable. So people just don't say anything. Mm. So I'd go back into work, you know, or be out in life and no one would say anything. 
yet everything has changed for you. Everything has changed. And I remember being out for dinner at a restaurant and I'm sitting there and I lost my dad six weeks prior. Craig was like, I think it'd be good for you to just go out, you know, with a few girlfriends. And there ended up, unfortunately, some random other people start to join the table. It was not a part of the plan. And this song comes on, I hear my dad and we're talking about this conversation that was so, I was like, I just can't even be here. And I went in the bathroom. I've never told anyone this. I went in the bathroom and sobbed because I'm like, no one has acknowledged that I am like in the darkest place in my life. You know, I just lost my best friend. When you lose a parent like that, you also lose your other parent because they're in deep, dark grief. And then you really, you know, a lot of this has come to light recently with like miscarriages or IVF that people are talking about it, but it's the same with grief. People don't talk about it. No, I had no idea that there were five stages of grief until you're in it and you're blindly navigating and you can't make decisions and you don't even know what day it is. You know, the week after my dad passed, I cannot remember one thing. Yeah. It fully blacked out. I cannot remember. I don't even remember how I got to the airport, you know, so no one prepares that for you. And it's like, we talked about it previously about some of these tools to teach your kids about intuitive eating. Like we should talk to our kids about grieving. Yeah. And if it hits you, cause it will hit everyone at some point in your life. Every single person, every single person will be touched by it. You should know these really important tools to get through it, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, now I feel kind of like systematic about it sometimes. Like if I know someone has lost someone or gone through a hard time, I'm like, how are you? Hey, I feel like you should read these books. This is what really worked for me. Here are some meditations because I'm like, there was no one there to give me those tools. Well, when you're so young, a lot of your friends haven't experienced that type of grief yet, right? Like parents haven't passed yet. Nobody's lost a child. Maybe somebody had a friend in high school who passed away, but it's so unfamiliar. It's uncharted territory. it's very heavy. It's heavy. And I think like you said, there's an element of not wanting to say the wrong thing, not wanting to make it worse and being unsure as to whether or not you would want to talk about it or not talk about it. When's the right time to bring it up? And so I think, as you said, people go quiet. What would you recommend for somebody who knows someone who's grieving or who's experienced loss, like what were some of the things that did feel helpful during that time? One of my closest friends, they're like family to Sarah. She left a bag of groceries on my doorstep one day, knocked and walked away and I opened it and I just started crying and she had no idea like what I needed, but just like this small gesture of like not asking me, just putting it there. You know, and it's like, if you know of someone that's grieving, just the gentle reminder of like, I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. Or like, hey, I just want you to know I have been thinking about you and I am praying for you or I am putting all the good vibes out in the universe. And I want you to listen to this song today or sending that person a book. It doesn't have to be these big grandiose gestures, but asking someone like, Hey, what do you need? Isn't super helpful. You know, it's like, I don't know what I need. I need to just press pause on life for a second. I need my dad back. I need need my dad back. Can you do that? Yeah. And Cheryl Sandberg used this example as well. Like, Hey, I am at the store and I'm coming over with food. You have a choice of like 
pizza and a big salad or like hamburgers, like which one is it? Yeah. Am I coming in or leaving it on your doorstep today? Yeah. Black and white questions and limited options for what people are picking. Yeah. Okay. I love all of those. You know, or like sending, you know, like you girls know I collect cookbooks and unfortunately I can't remember who did this, but it could have been all of you. I got a beautiful coffee table book at one point with just a note in it that said like, for a moment where you need some inspiration, mm. like we love you. I think I sent you a book from the cross that was a coffee table book and it was like Emily Henderson. And yes. I think that was actually after you broke your neck though. Neck <laughs> you were going to need things that you Maybe could that do after my neck break. that weren't, but yeah, it's the simple gesture and yeah. the thought. Or like the, the question of how are you doing? Mm. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah. how the fuck do you think I'm doing? <laughs> so that's a no. Wait, that is <laughs> a, no. a no. Like, how am I doing? Not good. Not good. <laughs> like, is that what you want to hear? <laughs> right? So what is that text to let someone know that you're thinking about them? Is it, I'm thinking about you? I'm thinking about you. Yeah. You are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. If it is 3 a.m. and you are lying on the floor and you need someone to talk to, mm-hmm. my phone is on and you can call me tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, and not that like, maybe you won't, but just knowing that I recently had my therapist tell me, you know, I see someone still over, you know, family dynamics and my dad. And he was like, Jill, Daniel, Daniel, (laughs) our group therapist. Yes. We all go to Daniel. Oh my God. But we can't pass out his contact. (laughs) No, we cannot. Too busy. Daniel was like, Jill, you will never end up in the same place with mental health as your dad because I am here for you. And he's like, you can call me at 6 p.m. and tell me you're on your way over to Victoria and I will have my office ready for you and we can talk about it all night. Mm -hmm. I'm here for you. And just someone saying, I am here for you. I started crying. I was like, Daniel, of course, I'll pay you double today. (laughs) No, but it just, but it was really authentic and he really meant it. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a hard, don't ignore it, you know? Like I, I went to a birthday party and friends' parents were there and, you know, you feel like you're kind of ghosting through and they're like, <laughs> this was the one instance where it was okay. They're like, how are you doing? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm good. And they both, their therapists, they both hugged me and they're like, you're not fine. Mm. And we just need to like be in this moment and hug you. And I mm. cried with them and I'm in the hallway and I'm like, oh, sometimes just a warm hug, like Olaf says. Yeah. It really comes back to some of the simple things. Circling back to where we started with this conversation around conscious parenting and the choices that we make, nannies, no nannies, daycare, no daycare, like all of the things. I believe your dad is watching you right now from someplace. And we always in our group as well, send each other 1111 and notice these little spiritual signs. And you've had some really cool experiences in that way as well. If your dad were to give you advice or say something to you about parenting, what do you think he would tell you? Be where your feet are. Be where your feet are. Yeah. 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 And I think when we even talk about like the energy bubble, Mm -hmm. I think when you've been through something really tough in your life, you know, you dealt with your eating disorder when you were a teenager and that really changed you as a person. And that was incredibly tough. And people have all different types of trauma, whether it's miscarriages or eating disorders, or you lose someone and grief shows up in all different shapes and forms. When you go through something like that, and then you come out and you do the work because you have done so much work. 
I've done so much work. We're both still doing so much work. You become so aggressively protective of your energy bubble Mm -hmm. that, I mean, you girls know I'm like, it is a tight bubble. (laughs) And And when you say energy bubble, explain to people what you mean. I think like the, the people like on my island. Yeah. The energy that you're surrounding yourself with primarily being people, but also like the things you're welcoming into your home, the places that you're spending your time, the activities that you're doing, are they fueling you or depleting you, your energy bubble? Who I am as a person, because I've like, you know, clawed my way back Mm -hmm. and Craig and I have done so much work as a couple and you know, we're really into like the idea of like, you never stop growing as a person and you always have to be working on yourself or on your marriage or as a parent. But I, like, I think that like, you know, sometimes you hear these stories from people and, you know, people are mistreating them or there's, you know, it's always easier said than done, but I'm like, find your Island and be on your Island and then close your energy bubble and be so protective of that because you have one life to live and life is so hard and there's all these outside things hitting us like tennis balls trying to hit our faces every day <laughs> and like close the energy bubble and be protective of like what makes you happy and what lights you up and you know not letting someone infiltrate that is like toxic in your life or an activity or whatever it is right there's a lot of things that we say all the time like be where your feet are but somebody might hear that and not understand what that means and it's really profound. When you say be where your feet are, what does that mean to you? So, I just had I would call her a close friend. She's my hairdresser, but I would call her my close friend. <laughs> they are close friends, are they not? <laughs> I love her. She's on my island. If you're listening to this, you know who you are. I love you. She just had a, a great loss in her life and I had said to her I said, you know, when you're having a really hard day and you're feeling anxiety about looking in the future and what's to come and what are you going to do tomorrow and how are you going to deal with this and this like huge pit in your body that you can physically feel a hole in your body, which is grief. How are you going to live with this? Stop, look down where your feet are and just be where your feet are. Be in the moment Mm. one step at a time. And truly, if you have to look down, don't knock into any walls and watch yourself walking into the kitchen to get yourself a glass of water. Water also heals all. Yes. You know, be where your feet are. Don't look ahead. Just take each day as it comes. And that really helped me through the grieving process that I was like tiny steps every day. When I'm feeling overwhelmed with the future, if I'm feeling overwhelmed that like my kids, you know, Gigi at the time is going to have issues when she's older from childhood that like her mom was like, I was not my best self in the two years of her life. I'm like, look down at my feet. I am in control of the present moment. And that's all I can control. I mean, I think this is so profound and one of the strategies that has supported me the most with my anxiety as well, because obviously with anxiety, there's so much time spent up in your head thinking about the present and the future and the what ifs and just getting so hooked into your thoughts. And so I can say, be where my feet are right now. And to me, it means something similar, maybe different thoughts come into mind. But one thing that I find is helpful is to just go through or scan my five senses. What do I actually see right now in my space? Are there shadows on the wall? What's the natural light doing? You know, what colors and shades am I noticing? Are the trees outside moving? What do I hear? What do I smell? What do I taste? And what do I feel? And really bringing myself in to the present moment. Michelle Campbellis, who has been my meditation teacher for a long time, talks about 
being where our feet are and being in the present moment a lot. And I mean, so much of mindfulness is about being in the present moment, being where our feet are. And she talks a lot about the pain that we ultimately add to our lives by wanting to be anywhere other than where we are in the moment. And of course, this is especially true when we're in those tough moments, right? Like nobody's in the mud and the muck and rolling around like, this is fucking amazing. I'm just going to be right here. So this is a transformational moment for me. I mean, we may know we're going to grow from this. We are going to get through it, but it's not comfortable. No. But when we're in those moments, and if anyone's listening right now and is like, I'm in that moment, I'm grieving, I'm struggling with my body image, I'm having a lot of conflict with somebody at work or in my life and it's really uncomfortable when we start to desire like I wish this was just over I wish this wasn't happening I'm ashamed of myself I don't want to be this version of myself she calls it the double arrow so the first arrow that hits us is the struggle that we're in and the second arrow that hits us is our own resistance hatred for struggle within the struggle so be where your feet are to me is also like, can you just let go? And you might actually have to physically imagine yourself letting go or softening and just being right where you are. And as you said, not worrying about the present, worrying about the future. Yeah. And also not telling yourself, I will get through this. You won't. You will grow through this. Mm -hmm. You will grow. And as tough as it is, you know, Craig and I were in a really terrible place we were in a bad place right before my dad passed. We were just going through a hard time. And this brought us back together. And we have worked on our marriage and our relationship so much. And we've seen different sides of each other. And we're in such a solid, great place, you know, that it really kind of forces to look at ourselves and be like, we love each other so much. What matters right now? What matters? And sure, we were going through my neck break, but like, this really brought life back into perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's always a good reminder is like grow through it. Don't get through it because you're not going to. That grief isn't going anywhere. You're going to learn to live with that feeling. Mm-hmm. It's a whole new thing. You've never felt, you know, you didn't know it was possible to live with a hole in your body. But that whole, the pain of it lessens and you grow as a person. Thank you so much for sharing this. I haven't actually had a really good conversation about grief on this show And I feel like I'm pretty nervous to go through it. I've obviously lost grandparents and things, but I think that there's different kinds of grief. And there's grief that can come with knowing somebody's lived a beautiful, long, healthy life. But I feel so much peace in knowing that there are people that I can go to, people that have been through it and survived it, people that will, you know, send the note or be there by my side to support through it. And that it's just something everyone will go through and experience. And it really does provide us with perspective. Mm -hmm. And I challenge you, if you're listening to this, to talk about it. To talk about it. Talk about it. And if there was someone that comes to mind that you should have reached out to, you should reach out to them. Mm. You know, it's very healing and it's like miscarriages or IVF or body image. We have to talk about grief. Mm Mm-hmm. That's your action step today. Send somebody a note letting them know that you care about them or that you love them. Talk about this episode and your own experience or inexperience with grief. If you haven't experienced it yourself, talk about it with somebody who has and let's make this more of a conversation. I feel like we also are going to need to have another episode all about relationships and marriage. Craig and Scott. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome, Craig. (laughs) 
I mean, he didn't know he was marrying a podcaster when when he got involved with me. But there's so much to talk about, and we could talk for days, 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 and days. We got through like even this episode. I'm like, wait, I need to circle back on that thing because there's more I could talk about in that. We might have to start a whole nother podcast (laughs) on the side. Watch out! (laughs) Thank you for having me. I mean, I hope now you have an idea of why I love this girl so much. <laughs> you can snoop everything Jill over on Instagram at Jill Sheridan. I'll drop that down in the link below. Sometimes it's nice to be able to put a face to a voice, you know? I mean, I'm the type of person I got to know who I'm listening to. A couple of things that I reflected on after our conversation. So the first one is that, you know, whether it's the way that we parent or our body, the way that we look, or where we stand in a relationship, social media has a tendency to create these exceptionally high standards for all of us because it's just highlighting the most perfectly curated moments and we can't see the behind the scenes of what's going on. And from our conversation, I just, you know, really reiterated the fact that we are so hungry for more vulnerability, for deeper shares, for the stories behind these images, whether that's about your childcare situation, how you're navigating marriage, the process of grief, all of it. Like we as human beings are craving that deeper connection with one another. So If you're not getting it from a specific page that you're following, that's fine. You might be getting a million other things from it. Don't forget to log off of social media, to create those connections with real people in real life, with your real friends and family. And if you don't feel strong in those relationships that you have right now, just keep practicing, keep building those relationships. One of our friends, Kat, always said, you know, building a friendship is like putting pennies in a piggy bank. Every time you hang out, every time you text, every time you check in, every hard thing that you go through, every great memory or moment that you spend together, it's depositing pennies into that piggy bank. And over time, this is what creates a beautiful relationship or a beautiful friendship. So don't forget to be building those moments, memories, and conversations outside of the app. One of the other things that really stood out in this conversation was Jill's advice and vulnerability around grieving the death of her dad, this incredible man who had the biggest personality but ultimately struggled. And I just want to say to Jill, you know, thank you so much for sharing that. I've seen you navigating this loss and the ups and downs of that. And I know that so many other people have experienced the same thing. So thank you for sharing that. I loved what Jill said that you don't get through the hard moments in life, but you grow through them. So if you're in a rough patch right now, if you're going through something hard, whether that's around your body image or grief or anxiety, mental health, just feeling lost or disconnected from your purpose, remember that no one gets through life unscathed. Everyone is going through their own stuff. And if they aren't right now, or it seems like they aren't right now, because we will have moments of ease and joy, 
it doesn't mean that you are doing anything wrong. So be where your feet are. And that doesn't mean you have to stay there, stuck there forever. But just remember that life is happening for you and you will grow through this moment. No matter what it is, you will come out the other side. Keep reaching out for help. Keep reaching out for support. Lean into the tools that you have. And please remember, you are never, ever alone. I would love to know what you think of these episodes with Jilly. And if you're enjoying them, please head over to my DMs at Rob Beauty Talks. Let me know what you're taking away from this episode. If you're loving having Jill as a guest, I mean, I certainly am. And yeah, I can't wait to see you next week. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Raw Beauty Talks community at Raw Beauty Talks. And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.